All right, Harvest Muskoka, Harvest Perry Sound. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, we have people who love to get Bibles into your hands. If you throw your hand up, you grab one of these. If you don't own a Bible, take one of these home with you as our gift to you. But be sure to get a copy of God's Word, especially this morning as we're going through. It's a bit of a difficult passage. You're going to want to have it open in front of you. So, so open up your Bible, open up your smartphone, wherever you've got a copy of God's Word, and, and go to Romans chapter 7. We're going to be starting in verse 15. As you're turning there, I got a couple questions for you. The first one's an easy question because it deals with other people's stuff, right? It's a lot easier to answer questions about other people's problems, right? So, so how about a show of hands? How many of you know somebody who has a bad habit they're trying to stop? Anybody? Anybody hands show of hands? Yeah, hands everywhere, right? We all know someone who's trying to stop a bad habit. There's something they keep going back to and they don't want to do it anymore. All right, here, here's a second question, more difficult. Don't have to raise your hands on this one, all right? It's more serious. How many of you, as you think through this question, would say, there's something in my heart, something in my life that I wish I didn't do? It's, it's not a habit because it's, it's deeper than just a bad habit. There's, there's something, there's, there's something that, that in your life, it feels like at times it controls you. So often you're like, I mean, I wish this wasn't a part of my life. I wish I didn't struggle with this. What is that? What would be that struggle you go back to? Maybe it's, maybe it's a temper that gets the best of you. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's fear and anxiety. Maybe it's people-pleasing. Maybe it's lying. Maybe it's controlling. Maybe it's, it's bitterness that you can't let go of. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's an eating disorder. But there's something, something that you wished you didn't do. And you've told God, God, I don't want to do this anymore. And, and, and I, I don't want this a part of my life. And you've asked God to help you stop. And, and for a time, you, you can white knuckle it. You can figure it out. You can, you can kind of build up the reserve. And for, for days, maybe, maybe even weeks, maybe even a month. But then before you know it, you're doing it again. Maybe you're thinking, man, I, it shouldn't be like this. Like, like it, how can I be a Christian and still be struggling with this? I want the, the kind of clean, like a, a deep clean that, that I thought I would have in, in Christ Jesus. I thought that it would, I, I wouldn't struggle once I gave my life over to Jesus. And then we open up Romans chapter 7. And here we have this letter written by a guy, the Apostle Paul. Paul, I, I would say this, is probably one of the most godliest people to ever live on earth outside of Jesus, obviously. But if, if, if you're going to say, hey, hey, tell me like the, the top five guys who, who you think would be five people who would, who would be like sold out for Jesus, all for Christ, living for Christ, a super Christian, who would they be? I mean, Paul would make your top five. He, he probably would be number one. He, he'd memorized the whole Old Testament, all 39 books, had it memorized. He wrote under the influence of the Holy Spirit, most of the New Testament, he'd seen Jesus face to face. Like, if there was a poster boy for Christianity, Paul's it. Now, in saying that, look at verse 15 of chapter 7, how Paul describes that this, this amazing Christian, how he describes his walk with Jesus. Verse 15 says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I mean, can, can you relate to that verse? 
I mean, let's be honest in church, have we not all felt that way at one time? Or you just look at your life like, man, man, I, I don't do what I want to do, what I know I should do. I do what I know I shouldn't do. And, and here's Paul, the guy who wrote this, one of the most godliest people to live on earth. And he's saying, there's stuff in my life that I wish I didn't do. And I don't know why I do it. He goes on, look at verse 16. He keeps going. He says, now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. And Paul's saying, listen, there's God's law. And I'm glad that God's law is there because it shows me what I'm doing. He spent, we're kind of jumping in the middle of, of Romans here in chapter seven, but he spent especially chapter six and the first part of seven explaining that the law can't save you. Saying over again, no, no, you, you, the law doesn't save you at all. Being a religious person who, obey, who obeys God, it does nothing to save you. Look at verse seven. He says, so what should we say then? If the law doesn't save us, what do we say then? That the law is sin? He goes, by no means. He says this, yet if it had not been for the law, I would have not known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet. If the law had not said, you shall not covet. He's saying, no, no, the law is not a bad thing because the law shows me my need for a savior. He's saying the law is not a ladder that you can climb up and you do all these things, you can make your way to God. No, no, the law is this, uh, this unimaginably, impossibly high brick wall that you run into and realize I can't do this. I'm lost. I, I, I can never reach God's holy standard. I need a savior. I need, I need somebody to rescue me. And there was this, this moment for Paul where, where although he knew the law, remember he, he, he knew the whole Old Testament. He went to like the Harvard of schools for Pharisees. He knew God's word, but it never changed him and until that moment where he says, I saw my sin more clearly. Where, where he hit that moment where he said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. You hear this testimony over and over again, don't you, of people who have grown up in the church. And maybe you, you, you sat under preaching, you even memorized verses, and, but there was that moment, just like Paul, there was that moment where all of a sudden those verses that you knew that said, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of a sudden you went, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm the sinner. It's not just that all have sinned, but Kai Ballantyne, my sins put Christ on the cross. I was on my way to hell. I am in need of a savior. I need mercy. I fall short. And it's, it's God's perfect, holy law. Paul says, I love it because it shines that bright light on my heart to reveal that to me, to, to show me where my heart really is. Maybe you've heard this before. People always say, hey, never buy a car in the evening. Don't go buy a car when it's dusk and getting dark because cars look amazing in the dark. So you, you, you're like, this is a great car. It's perfect. I'll buy it. You buy it. You take it home. The next morning you wake up in the middle of daylight and you're like, what? This thing's scratched up and it's dented. I, I didn't see it when it was dark, but now in the light. And Paul's like, yeah, that's the law. So he's talking about in, in chapter seven, especially verses seven to 12, he's saying, this, this is who I was before the law, before Christ became real to me, before my heart was revealed. And he's using all this past tense. He says, I was like this. I, I died. I was deceived. This killed me. All past tense. But then he hits verse 15 and he begins to start speaking in the present tense. 
Now, why is that important? Because what we're about to read here is, is we're talking about someone who is a new person. He's transformed by Jesus. He's been brought to life, and yet he describes his life as one of still being in battle. Again, look at verse 17. He says, so it is no longer I who do it. This sin that he keeps doing, this, this struggle he has, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I see this, it's not me, but it's this sin in me. Here's Paul again, super Christian Paul. And he says, sin keeps pressing in on my heart, keeps drawing my heart to do things, to think things, to say things, to bring me to places that are where I know I shouldn't be. Here's the one, he's been redeemed, he's been saved, and yet he's still battling with sin. I look at it this way, and I may have told this story a long time ago, but I kind of see it this way. When I was um, in college, I, I went to a school out west, and our dorm room was this, this kind of cabin on the shores of Lake Okanagan in Kelowna. And so there's always ducks out in the front there, and, and it was one weekend where everybody had gone from my dorm. My dorm was empty except for me, so I'm studying for exams, and, and, and I'm eating some cookies, and ducks are out front, so I just start throwing pieces of cookies to these ducks. And eventually, and this is kind of a guy thing, I think, so maybe guys will get this. In my mind, I thought, it'd be so cool to have a duck in the dorm, right? Okay, you get it, right? So I start throwing the cookies closer and closer to the door until finally I throw a cookie behind me and the duck crawls over me and goes into the dorm. I'm like, yeah, duck's in our dorm, right? He's going to school. And I learned a couple things about ducks that day. I learned this. One, they have very short memories because I stood up to turn around to go enjoy the dorm with my new duck and, and he turned around and saw me and I was no longer the giver of life and cookies. I was the enemy and he flew away scared and flies into, through the lounge and into my bedroom and just starts smashing into the window trying to get out. And I'm like, this is going to kill the duck. So I had to do something to get this duck out. So I ran outside to, to the outside of the dorm and started banging on my window thinking I'll scare him out that way. And, and the, for sure it worked. The duck flew out of my room into the lounge and into somebody else's room, smashing into that window. I'm like, man, ducks are dumb. So I run in and I come up and what am I going to do? I come behind the duck and I grab him top and bottom like this when he's flapping his wings. Right? And I grab him and I start steering him out of the door. It was beautiful. I was like one with nature and flying duck and I'm holding him and I steer him out the, the lounge and then out the front door and then whew, it was beautiful. It really was. And I release the duck into the wild. The second thing I learned about ducks that day is when ducks are scared, um, they lose all control of their bowels. <laughs> I looked down and I was covered in duck crap. It was all over me. I looked behind the dorm. The dorm is covered. The lounge, my room, my friends were all desk and beds. I'm like, no. Here's what, here's what I'm getting at. Paul says, listen, listen. Sin has been taken out. The power of sin is removed, but the effects of sin. I got the duck out of the dorm, but you could see the effects of the duck all still in the dorm. And if you know Christ, you've seen your sin, you reached out to him in faith and forgiveness. Listen, you are a child of God. You've been given the righteousness of Christ. You've been redeemed. You've been adopted. You've been ransomed. You've been filled with his spirit. You've been given an inheritance that, that right now, scripture says you're seated with Christ in the heavenlies. You, you have the righteous robes of Christ on you. But also right now, at that same time, we're still living in a sinful world. We still have this sinful flesh that hasn't been fully eradicated. 
it's been disabled. It, it no longer rules over us, but, but it hasn't been completely eradicated. A time's coming. Scripture calls it glorification when it will happen, but that's heaven. When we reach heaven, we won't struggle with sin anymore, praise God. And, and there's that day where we won't have to wrestle with our sinful flesh anymore. But Paul wants us to understand the reality of where we live today, right now. If you're taking notes, here's our first point. Just two points this morning. It's this is our first point. I'm in a battle. I'm in a battle. I mean, don't fool yourself to think, well, the fight's over because I gave my life to Christ. Listen, we're still gonna struggle with sin until heaven. I mean, I love it that Paul lays it out. I mean, to, later today, go back and read Romans 6. Just so clearly, Paul says, listen, sin no longer rules your life. You used to be a slave to sin, but when you give your life to Christ, sin no longer has mastery over you, no longer your slave master. You've been set free. But, but listen, we're not set free from the presence of sin. The impact of sin is still found in our lives. You think about when the, when the Israelites were delivered from Egypt, they're set free no longer slaves. And yet remember Pharaoh chases them down. He chases them right down to the Red Sea. And what's Pharaoh saying? He's saying, you're mine. I'm bringing you back. I own you. I mean, think about it. The Israelites would have been in slavery for 400 years. But God steps in and speaks a different word over the Israelites. He, he's the rescuer. And he, he, he says something different about them. He says, listen, you were a slave. You were, you were beaten and dirty and bruised and abused. You were stained by sin, but you're mine. Where God says to us, you're purchased by the blood of Christ. You're my treasure. You're my possession. And so in the midst of this battle, the question becomes, who do we believe? Who do you follow? Who's your master today in the battle? Are you following after sin? The sin that Jesus already took care of. It doesn't rule us anymore, but it draws our hearts, doesn't it? Paul goes on, look at verse 18. He says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that it's in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. I love that Paul's being so real here. Can you relate to what he's saying? I mean, have you felt that? I mean, I have the desire to do good and, and I'll, I'll hear a great sermon and, or I'll read a great book or, or I'll, I'll listen to a great podcast. I'm thinking, that's it. I mean, I, I'm gonna do this. I, I'm gonna change. I'm gonna turn over a new leaf. I'm gonna be a better spouse. I'm gonna be a better, a better person. I'm gonna be a better fill in the blank. I'm gonna do this. And then what happens? You hear a great sermon on Sunday. What happens is Monday, right? And, and maybe you, you think, this is it. I've got this now. I, I'm gonna make this happen. And then, then you wake up I don't know who that would be in your life, but maybe, maybe it's your spouse or, or maybe it's your mom or your dad or your kid or, or that person says that thing they always say. That person does that thing they always do. And man, you lose it before you've even gotten to the breakfast table, right? Don't be lulled into thinking that there isn't a battle. The victory's been won by Christ, but we're still in enemy territory and we can't take off our armor. All through the New Testament, we're reminded it's a battle. 
1 Peter 5, 8, Peter says, be careful because your adversary, the devil, wanders around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. Here Paul says, listen, the battle that's going on, it's not just out there. The battle's in here. It's not just the sin that's in the world. He says, it's my own heart that's drawn by this, my own flesh outside of Christ that grabs a hold of this. Yeah, the duck is out of my life, but there's still a lot of the effect of that duck in here, in my heart. Look at verse 22, Paul goes on. He says, for I delight in the law of God. He goes, I love God's word. Like I love it. In my inner being, he says, but I see my members In my members, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Paul's saying, I really want to do do the right thing. I mean, I love the Lord. I love his word. I I, want to follow Jesus. I've heard people say before, if if you know Christ, you probably won't struggle with sin. Like like you could reach perfection. I, I don't agree because I see Paul here. In fact, I would say this, if if you're struggling with your sin, the fact that it's a fight, the fact that you're battling it, the fact that it is a struggle is is because of your love for Christ. If there were no struggle, if if you can just sin, if you can live a life you know is not pleasing to God, it doesn't bother you at all. There's no conviction, there's no struggle, there's no battle going on in your heart. It, It means your heart's not connected to Christ. Because if you're connected to Christ, you you won't be comfortable just sitting and living in constant, consistent sin. I would say this, it's the difference between being a pig or being a sheep. The the Bible calls Christ followers, God calls us his sheep, right? So, So think about this, a pig loves when he falls in mud. A sheep doesn't like it so much. A pig jumps into the mud and is like, yeah, this is good mud, right? Takes a little cloven hoof and is like, come on, everybody else, come on in, right? Waving everybody, this is good stuff and drawing other people in. That's what a pig's like. A sheep might trip and fall into the mud. But they think, I don't belong here. There might be times you find yourself in the mud of sin for, for a time and, and usually, listen, it's because you're being lied to because either sin has drawn you and saying this is gonna be good or, or you sit there in, in despair and defeat because you believe the lie of the devil who says, man, if you were really a sheep, you wouldn't be here. If you feel that fight, if you feel that battle, that's a good thing. It should, it should feel like a battle. We should never make peace with sin. We we need to make war with our sin. Why? Because sin, like this roaring lion that Peter talks about, listen, you don't don't take a lion and just, oh, I'm just gonna bring him to my house. It's gonna be a really good pet, a wild lion. Let's bring him in. Or if you come into my my house and you're like, what's that? It's just a lion. He's fine. Come on, bring your kids in too. No, I'm not bringing my kids in your house. You get a lion in your house. In these moments, in these times when we fail to triumph over sin, these verses, they show us, hey, here's the way a Christian's to respond to this sin. I think one of the reasons why Romans 7 is so important for us is because it rescues us from, from two cliffs we can fall off of along the path of the gospel. We're called to walk in the gospel. We, we can fall off of this side where we just fall into sin and run after sin and love our sin and live in our sin and sin is what we want all the time and we fall off this way into, into sin. 
The other way we can fall off is we can fall off this way into the hopelessness of perfectionism where I can't sin, I need to be perfect. And Paul here in Romans 7, he, he's, he's calling us to listen, walk in the way of the gospel. Don't, don't fall into hopelessness of, of just pursuing sin. It's gonna wreck you and kill you and those around you will be wrecked by it. Don't fall into the hopelessness of perfectionism because that will drown you as well and it'll drown others around you as you reach for those things. Because here's the thing, when we fall off on either side, it's not just a personal heart thing, Right? The vertical spills out into the horizontal. We, we impact those around us. I'm looking forward to next week. We're going to talk more about the horizontal. What's it look like to deal with heart sin between each other? How do we walk that stuff out? And Paul's teaching here in this passage, though, he says, listen, I want to help you navigate the, the tricky waters of walking in the gospel beside two cliff edges of hopelessness. Hopeless because you've made peace with your sin or hopeless because you're trying to fake it and pretend to look perfect. He says there's a battle going on, but here, here's the key. Here's our second point. Yeah, we're in a battle, but we don't lose hope. We don't lose hope. You, you can be set free. There, there is a deep clean. You, your heart can be free. Even that thing you were thinking about at the beginning of the service, when I said, what's that thing you run to? Even that you can be set free from. How do we do that? Just pulling some truths out of the scriptures here this morning. Here's the first thing that we need to do. Don't lose hope. What do we do? We confess to God. Confess to God. Look what Paul says in verse 24. He talked with his sin, the battle he's got. Then he says this, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I love that. Paul doesn't fake it. He doesn't hide it. I mean, think about it, Paul, this super Christian, this guy planting churches all over the world, and he says this, I'm a wretched man. And then he says next, who will rescue me? I mean, Paul doesn't want to stay in that sin. He's like, I don't want to be here any longer. I want to be rescued. I, I want to come out of this. He, he wasn't just going to go, well, you know, everybody has struggles. Because I don't want to stay there. I'm not playing around. I, I, I want to battle. I want to fight my way out. I, I think we use that term so much in Christian circles. In our small groups, we're talking about, yeah, I'm battling with this sin. And so often, sometimes it's like, man, really? Is it really a battle? Because it looks like I've surrendered. Are you actually battling? And Paul is in this fight where he says, I don't want to be here. Who will rescue me? And he's fighting. He's battling. Are you battling your sin? And when we battle, you, you take radical measures in a fight, in a battle. I mean, Jesus said it this way. He said, if your eye caused you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, just cut it off. And, and obviously he's not calling us to, to physically do that, but he's giving us this, this, this example, this illustration. Listen, if there's sin in your life, take the drastic measure you need to take to remove it from your life. What needs to be amputated from your life today? What have you made peace with? That this morning, the Spirit's pressing in saying, that's got to go. There's, there's measures you need to take to take care of that. Now again, recognize that, that, that the struggle is real. We're gonna struggle with sin. And we, we say it all the time here at Harvest that it's, it's okay to, to not be okay, Right? I mean, if, if you look to the person to the right of you and then check out the person to the left of you, 
right? They're both messed up, okay? Just let, want to let you know that. You're like, well, you don't know me, Pastor Kai. I'm not, no, you are, because I am too. Look up here. Another messed up person up here, right? We get that, 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 that we're, we're broken. We're, we're all battling in this battle of sanctification, saved by the Spirit, excited and full of joy, and yet we're still wrestling. And I mean, let, Let's admit we don't have it all together. It's, it's okay to not be okay at church, right? But here's the thing we say. It's, we don't want to stay there. It's okay to not be okay, but I don't want to stay in that place. And Paul, he's calling out, I need rescue. We should be doing the same. Verse 25, he gets his answer. He says this, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He recognizes the the only person who can rescue me from this bondage of sin, the only person who can can break the power of sin. Like, you can't change. You can't can't will up strength inside you. A a counselor can't change you. A a good book can't change you. A sermon can't change you. But, But God, by his spirit, Jesus Christ can change you. Jesus can rescue you. Jesus can bring deep cleaning to a heart that's struggling. But it, it has to start with me saying, Here's my sin. I think one of the problems that we face is that we're not really willing to call things what they are. I mean, there'll be people here this morning, you're legitimately battling with sin, but you won't call it sin. You'll say, well, I've got some issues in my life. I've got some struggles. I've made some mistakes. And we don't like calling it sin because to call it sin makes it sound so serious. But, but listen, it is serious. It's our sin that put Christ on the cross. I mean, that, that's why we have to see sin for what it is. Because if, if we're not serious about calling it sin, then we're not going to be serious about leaning into what it is that, that needs that sin destroyed in our lives. And so what do we do? We, we confess it to God. Now, when I say confess, what do I mean? I mean, I grew up in church, and I remember hearing, confess your sin to God, and here's what I thought as a kid. Like, really? Because God already knows everything. You just told me that God sees everything that I do. You've taught me that he's omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. He knows and sees everything. So why am I telling God, hey, here's something I did. You already know that. It's like you coming up to me at the end of the service going, hey, Pastor Kai, I'm wearing clothes today. Not naked today, wearing clothes. I mean, really, thanks, Captain Obvious. Like, I can see that you're wearing clothes. So, so what does this mean to confess our sin to God, to, to tell him? Listen, confession, I think, has, has little to do with information. It has everything to do with transformation. Confession is not me telling God I did something wrong that he already knows about. No, no, the transformation happens in my mind and in my heart when I say, God, here is this and this is sin. I see it the way you see it. That's what confession means. Calling it what God calls it. I'm not just having a struggle, God, this is sin. It's, it's seeing your actions and recognizing the sin that's beneath those actions and just calling it what it is. Lord, my control. Lord, my anger. Lord, my fear. Lord, my lust. Lord, my worry. Lord, my lying. Lord, my unforgiveness. Lord, my bitterness. My bitterness. Lord, Lord my pride. My greed. My, my people-pleasing. My, my complacency. My rebelliousness. And we call it what it is. We call it sin. And I need rescue. Because if we don't call it what it is, we begin to bring it 
into our lives and think that it's a pet we can control. The lion's not a pet. I remember it was years ago, I think I was in college when I heard about this, where there was these people and they were getting their prom pictures taken with a lion. Maybe you heard this, right? And they're all getting their prom pictures taken and then the lion attacked one of the couples. And what I remember is the reporter so shocked by this. We can't believe it that the lion attacked this girl in her prom dress. And I remember thinking, really, really? Because I've seen a lot of National Geographic films. I'm not terribly surprised that, that these, these huge beasts with, with teeth and claws designed to make things around them lunch, that you're shocked that it's going to attack lunch that you put in front of it dressed up in a prom dress. Listen, you, you can dress your sin up. You, you can play with it. Eventually, it will turn on you. Eventually, it will kill you. We have to be serious about our sin because our sin is not a pet. The, the bitterness we hold on to, the anger that we allow to stay in our hearts, the, the lust, it's not a pet. It's, it's worse than any disease you could have. And if, if, if I were to tell you, man, I recognize some symptoms in your life this morning. I just, I just see you've got this life-threatening illness. It would be tomorrow that you'd be calling your doctor saying, man, I need to get this taken care of. Sin left unchecked will always lead to destruction. It'll lead to destruction in you. It'll lead to destruction in those around you. We need to confess it to God. Here's the second way I think we, we find healing is that we don't just confess it to God. We're not just honest to him, but we also confess it to others. I mean, we, we take it horizontally. We've taken it vertically to God. Now we take it horizontally to others where, where we say, hey, hey, this is what's going on. And I mean, I, look at our culture. Our culture tells us not to do that, right? No, hey, my sin's my sin. My problem's my problems. What's it got to do with you? Why, why do you care about what's going on in my life? It's not, it's not hurting you. It's my stuff. It's such a lie from the enemy. Your, your brokenness does impact those around you. The sin that you bring in as a pet and you hold on to and you hide, it's, it's impacting your family. It's impacting your kids. It's impacting your workplace. It's impacting your small group. It's impacting your church. And we try to hide it. We, we don't want to let anybody know about it. Or, or in our confession to others, we kind of lighten it, right? We don't want to call it for what it is. We, we, okay, we might get to the point where we call it sin before God, but, but before other people, well, let's just kind of lighten it up a little bit. Let's really show you fully what it is. I don't want to fully expose my sin to anybody. You know, I remember when I was a kid in the fifth grade, we used to play kind of hide and seek, but we used um, like BB guns to play hide and seek. So one guy would get the gun, Everybody else would go hide, right? And you were caught when you were shot with the gun, right? Wasn't a smart kid. We, um, we would wear like jean jackets and jeans. So we thought we were good. We had a rule, no shooting in the face. So that was a rule, right? Well, I remember there was one day we were out and we're playing and my buddy Jamie, he got hit in the hand from close range with a BB gun. And you don't have jean jackets on your hands, right? So it hit his pinky finger and it, it, it did some work on his pinky finger. It, it busted it open and, and, and his first thought, all of our thoughts, because we're in grade five. So what's our first thought? Our parents are going to kill us. We can't tell anybody. Hey, hey, Jamie, you, you, you can't say anything. You just got to hide. He's like, okay, I'll try to hide. His pinky like, rah, rah, rah. it was disgusting, right? So, so what did he do? For days, he took his little busted up pinky and he would just hide it from his parents. 
Maybe in his pocket a lot. At the dinner table, he'd always reach with one hand, not the other hand, keep it hidden. Days go by until finally he, he, he makes a mistake and it's, his mom sees his pinky finger. Now, by this time, it was disgusting. It was pus-filled. It was colors a finger should not be, right? And his mom's like, what is this? She takes him to the hospital. No, no joke. The doctor says, listen, if, if you let that go much longer, you would have lost your finger. All because he hid it. There are people here this morning, if, if you don't come clean with the sin that you're hiding, you're gonna lose more than a finger. You might lose your marriage. You might lose a relationship. You might lose the abundant life that you were promised in Christ. I mean, James 5, 6 calls us to confess our sins to each other so that we may be healed. Proverbs 28, 13 says that whoever conceals their sin does not prosper. There are story after story in this room, testimonies where people would say this. They would say, my sin was hidden for so long and, and I finally just brought it out in the light. I told my small group, I, I told a, a close friend and I, I brought it to a, a believer who, who loved me and hugged me and showed grace towards me and I found healing. And now, now, now they're walking with me in, in honesty and in confession and, and we're walking, yes, it's still a battle, but we're, we're walking in, in freedom, pointing each other to the hope of the gospel. That's the power to, to uproot these sins we keep going back to, to confess it to God, to confess it to each other. Here, here's our last point though. And it all has to come through this. It's great to confess, but it has to have its roots here. And Paul lays it out for us so clearly that this is the power, the power that will change our hearts. Look at what he says. 24, he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will rescue me? He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Here's, here's the last thing for this morning. Embrace the gospel. Embrace the gospel. Now notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, who will rescue me? I will rescue me. He doesn't say that. He says, I, I need to turn away from those things that I thought were gonna rescue me, those things that I thought were gonna bring me hope. I need to turn away from those. I need to turn away from trying to rescue myself all the time. And he says, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. He, he leaves behind his feelings. I'm not down on feelings. I love feelings. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my church. Feelings are good, but feelings are not good at directing us which way to go all the time. And I'm so glad there's a, there's a better moral compass than my feelings. If I followed my feelings everywhere, man, I would be one lost dude. I would be trapped in heart sin that my feelings drew me to. But Paul says, I'm not going there. I'm going to the truth of the gospel. I'm embracing this truth that Christ is my rescue. The gospel that says that Jesus lived the perfect life. He died a death in my place for me. He rose again from the grave to, to have victory over sin and death and Satan. And this is the beauty of the gospel. We get to share in that victory. It wasn't just his victory alone, but it's, it's our victory. And Paul says, this is the anchor of my soul. In fact, look exactly what he says. Because it's not just him realizing the truth of the gospel. It's not who will rescue me from this body of death. It's Jesus. 
What's he say? Look, look at verse 25. What's he say? He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I mean, this is so crucial as we battle sin. It's not trying harder. It's not doing more. It's not learning more. He's saying this. It's, it's rejoicing and it's embracing. It's, it's understanding. It's, it's living under the truth of the gospel. It's this, it's rejoicing in the, the fact that Jesus, you have taken care of every need that I'm trying to go for in this sin. You've already provided for me. So, so here's, the, here's the crucial part. We can confess our sin. We can do everything we can to get sin out of our lives, but we, we can't just always have the remove part. What are we gonna replace it with? And Paul's saying, I replace it with a greater affection. I replace it with a, with a more beautiful thing called the gospel. That Jesus has taken care of the need that I'm right now trying to get in the sin that I'm pursuing. I mean, if you think about it, all, all sin, bitterness, lust, anger, control, fear, it's really all of us trying to rescue ourselves. And Paul says that doesn't work. The rescue happens when I move my life under a different word. The, the rescue happens when the gospel becomes more weighty than that thing that I'm putting my hope in when the gospel becomes more beautiful. So what do we do? We, we remember the gospel. We rehearse the gospel. We, we allow the gospel to have greater weight, greater beauty, and our heart rests in that. And we say, thanks be to God that through Christ Jesus, I've been redeemed. I mean, that's the way to fight sin. It's, it's, it's growing deeper in our love for the gospel. Let me give you a, a real good resource. If you, you wanna, how do I do that? How do I get into that more? There's a great book. It's called Gospel Primer, P-R-I-M-E-R, a little brown book called The Gospel Primer by a guy named Milton Vincent. You want a great book that just helps you focus your heart on the beauty and the sufficiency of the gospel. Because listen, this morning you can find Freedom. And maybe you're thinking there's no hope for me, but, but there is. There is freedom. There is hope, but there are no shortcuts to sanctification. It's a battle. It is hard work. It's, here's the work. It's, it's daily me replacing, replacing my hope that I've put in sin and putting that hope in the gospel. It's giving up on my independent attempts to, to reach for, to, to get a hold of things, to get my life straightened out. And instead, I move my whole life to rest on the beauty and the sufficiency of what Christ says over me through the gospel. We wrestle our hearts, we wrestle our flesh to embrace the gospel, to respond to the spirit in the battle with sin. Listen, here's the truth. Christians struggle with sin. Good Christians struggle with sin. I mean, don't leave here defeated by the lie that says that, that oh man, you, you can't struggle. You, you can't be struggling. If you, no, no, no. Leave here grabbing a hold of the hope you have in Christ. And if this is new to you, if it's like, man, I've been kind of coming to Harvest for a while, but I, I, I'm not sure how this works. For you, it's the same. It's coming to Christ and saying, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And I'm giving my life to you, God, that you can forgive, you can redeem, you can heal. You're my only hope, you and your righteousness. And we can be healed, even of that sin that continues to haunt our lives. I call the worst team up now as we pray. Would you uh, stand with me?
Heavenly Father, I pray right now in these next few moments, even as we sing, God, I pray that your voice would be so clear. I, I pray that our hearts would hear you in a way we've never heard you before. Father, I pray for those here in this room who are battling with sin that continues to draw their hearts, the same sin over and over again. God, I pray that the truth of the gospel today would be more beautiful, would carry more weight, would speak to the heart of the sin. Father, I pray that we would know you more. I pray that we'd see your gospel more clearly. I pray that you'd stir our hearts and our affections for you. That your cross would be more weighty. Your cross would be more beautiful. That we'd see our sin for what it is and we'd see your gospel, your hope. That, Lord God, you said, you're mine. That as those who are redeemed and set free, that we can rest in that truth and be set free from our sin. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let, let's sing about this gospel.